Hello and welcome to Making Creativity Pay, the podcast where we talk to people in creative industries about how they promote and market their work. I'm Dan Barnett and on this episode I was speaking to Eleanor Birdsell-Smith, who is producer of the sellout Edinburgh Fringe show Cowboys and Lesbians, which is about to embark on a three-week run at the Park Theatre in London and the Wardrobe in Bristol. We talk about her background in TV, her fringe experiences, including the importance of reviews and the tactics of flyering, as well as the impact of a name change to the show. I started the interview by asking Eleanor to give a bit more information about herself. So I am Eleanor, I'm the producer of Cowboys and Lesbians, which is a show that we took to the Fringe and is now going to Park Theatre and Bristol Wardrobe Theatre. It's a romantic comedy with added sexy cowboys. It's um, a story about two teenage girls in London who kind of realise that at the end of their high school, secondary school experience, they haven't really done anything exciting or scandalous or thrilling in the way that we are told by media and Hollywood should have happened by the age of 18. And they've you know, done very well at school and have a lovely friendship with each other and have nice times drinking their tea, but they haven't done drugs or stayed up all night to party, etc, etc. And so they start to kind of contemplate why we've been told that and go through the films that kind of tell us that and start to parody these films and that comes to life and becomes a story in itself and we start to see um, their little fantasy imagining play play out as a real story in itself with Elder and Carter the sexy cowboy and soon you know these two love stories maybe start to merge and the two maybe realize that what they've been looking for from romance may have been much closer than they originally believed. So I have been working in film slash TV slash theatre for about four years now since I graduated. So I've worked in development, um, I've worked in non-scripted, I've worked primarily in scripted, worked on film sets, I've worked on high-end TV, I've kind of been on the production side of things, I've been a bit on the creative side of things and then I've also worked at a talent agency And then uh, alongside that, I was working with my friend who I met at university while we were studying English together. And she wrote this play and I produced it. And um, and then we did well, well enough at the small kind of pub theatre that we put it on at. Well, it did it did sell out. So that that was why it was it was good enough. So then the next year we thought, well, it's actually perfect timing. Let's try and take on the absolutely horrifying, terrifying prospect of the fringe because we'd never done anything like um, that before as both of us work in film and TV more than theatre. So very alien concept, but we were like, let's just give it a go. And um, yeah, we took it to Pleasance. Um, it did do fairly well. We got some lovely reviews and we had a lot of sellout shows. I had a great time, was horrifyingly tiring and grueling, especially for the producer. <laughs> and obviously for everyone, that's not to be like... <laughs> The actors and directors, they do nothing. But we were very kind of low budget, like scrimping, scraping, doing, I was pretty much doing everything we, I possibly could. Yeah, we were very lucky that um, we invited some theatres to come and see it and Park saw it and the Wardrobe Theatre in Bristol saw it and really liked it. So they came and saw the show and they liked it and that just makes everything much easier. I haven't had to deal with the kind of like begging. And that's all very exciting and that's happening. Start opening on the 21st of February, three weeks there and then we go straight to four nights in Bristol. I mean, to be honest, you've kind of often answered an awful lot of questions within that, which is really cool. Um, one of the first things I was going to say was, you know, how did you get involved? Yeah, so I've always wanted to be 
basically producer on or at least like on the more creative side of production i was working in production as a coordinator travel coordinator assistant production coordinator all that stuff which is very intense and definitely gave me a great foundation for like getting stuff done and scheduling and um, working very hard but it's not the most fun to be just you know organizing the shipment of like dead crows to iceland or whatever when you kind of want to be a bit more involved in the actual not necessarily the writing but the creative process itself and so I was kind of hoping to transition towards that and um yeah my friend had produced Billy who's the writer um she's always known she's wanted to be a writer she's an incredible writer she kind of worked alongside some other friends who have their own theatre production company which is called Tightrope Theatre which is who we first made the show with. And she kind of helped on a production of that, which was called Nightfall. And that went on at the White Bear Theatre in Kennington. Um, And that was very well received. That was written by Philippa Lawford. She's a wonderful um, theatre writer and director. And um, they were maybe going to collaborate on this next one. And then they realised that they were kind of too overcommitted and they couldn't. And so Billy was kind of (laughs) like, oh, goodness. (laughs) Um, so she stepped up to direct it, which she was actually very pleased to do, but also quite scared to do because she obviously doesn't have professional training in directing. She's done a few short films and things, but she's mostly been on the writing side. And I was like, well, I'm very happy to produce it. I'd love to produce it. And she was like, thank God. <laughs> but, um, and then we had a great time doing it, really. Um, so we had the slot confirmed because we would work before with them at the White Bear. And the, so the theatre were very happy to kind of take a chance on us as it were because they knew that the previous production had done well and we got arts council funding for our first for our first show of it which was great and kind of um blessed that we didn't have to i mean i know so many other productions give their firstborn child to get arts funding and still don't get it kind of thing so we got that which made everything easier um we both work freelance so it was easy just to be like we're finishing the i I just finished on the 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 witcher blood origin and so i was which was a hellishly hard intensive job so i was very happy to be like i'm finishing that and i'm being a producer and i'm getting money for it because it was arts council funded and um yeah it went really well and i had the time of my life like rehearsals were great the show was so fun such a lovely script like i we i worked on it with bill we kind of she wrote the script and then we developed it together and then we also kind of worked on it collaboratively in rehearsals and then that's how it that's how it all came to be that was the inception of it how easy was it between the two of you between uh, you know where a producer and a director fin- you know one starts and the other finishes definitely i would say that i because of my relationship with bill and the fact that she trusts me um creatively and i've worked on you know she's written a novel and i've kind of worked on editing that with her as well and i've read lots of her other writing so i, I maybe more and this is <laughs> she's the writer but as in I'm maybe more slightly kind of creatively involved because she has that trust with me because we know each other. I think if I was stepping into a completely new director's, writer's show, they wouldn't necessarily be like immediately as collaborative um, because the producer has so many other roles as well. And that's not to say that from what I know, from what I understand, the producer's role is kind of very different on every diff- every single production that they do. But yeah, I mean, we've known each other since we were... Literally, we met on like the first day of Freshers, the first night, and I think we started talking about George Eliot's Middle March and how much we both liked it, little nerd girls. Um, and we've been friends ever since. We're part of a very close-knit friendship group. We live together. So that freehand definitely works. And we've also worked together in film and TV. So during lockdown, we were both working throughout the kind of lockdowns because they had uh, exemption shoots did. I was working on a Sony film with a team and I got brought on to an HBO film 
and they needed someone else on the production team. And I was like, I know someone. <laughs> um, and really, it was kind of an excuse to be able to see your friends because obviously you, you weren't allowed to see, you, you weren't supposed to see each other socially. Um, so I was like, well, if we work, <laughs> then we have to. And so we just had the absolute time of our life, like carting around bloody like screen protectors and things like that across this, you know, COVID set. And I was technically her boss in that situation. So we kind of created also a professional relationship alongside our, you know, not that I was being like, I need this earlier. It's late or whatever. It was always going to be nice, but I was, we did have that kind of relationship where we knew that we could be like, I need you to do this and I need you to do that. Um, and then we could respect that. Like a lot of what I'm doing now is keeping her in check on deadlines and things like that, which is what she wants me to be doing. But I know I can do it in a way that is not going to create a rift because it's very, you know, separate. For the Edinburgh show last August, mm. obviously there's, there's you as the producer, Billy as the writer. Um, and then obviously you've got to get a cast. I yes. mean, how, how much of a lead time is there on that? I, so what, what, I will give you the inception story of when we went to Fringe is that I, we were both, Again, Billy's works as a script editor. She was working on a script editing role as a on a new Disney show called Renegade Nell, which is coming out next year. It was Sally Wainwright um show. And I was working at a talent agency and I was kind of ready to move on to something else. And so she and she was finishing her contract. And I think this is I think I read an article in the New Yorker about like a fringe show that had done well. And we were both kind of being like, What are we gonna do next? And I sent it to her. So I sent it to everyone in our friends group chat being like, what an interesting article. And then we kind of spoke, started speaking on our separate little one-on-one messaging being like, because she'd been quite like scared of the idea of the fringe as, as, and I had as well after we'd done our lovely, very kind of coddled little five day production at the um, pub theater. And everyone has always told us, you know, like it's hell, like it costs you everything that you've ever earned in your life and like maybe it's not even worth it and blah blah. so we were a bit like we've just had a nice experience maybe just leave it at that and then yeah so we kind of got tempted back into it and we're both missing it because it's such an exciting and creatively rewarding experience especially this play it's such a beauty i love it so much like and the whole team loves it so much that it's such a joy to be working on something that's just like every single part of it is fun and um so that's kind of what hooked us back in but that was very late in the day that was far after i would say most people had applied to their venues and their fringe and everything like that so we were incredibly lucky i feel like everything i say is just being like yes we were touched by heaven you know but we emailed a you know a selection of theaters and we said we won't do it if we don't get a good theater or we don't get a good slot because there's no point you know just doing it for the sake of it and getting somewhere that's in god knows where so we were applying to all these places and then we were so lucky that Pleasant had had a cancellation literally the morning that we'd emailed them of a whole full month slot in one of their nice venues. Well, it was bigger. We we were applying for a smaller venue because that's what we'd done at the uh, pub theatre and that was what we knew that we could comfortably sell out. And they were like, we've got one which is bigger. So there's a 90 capacity because we were working at kind of 50, 60 before and it's for the whole month and it's a really good one. And we were like, oh, Jesus, because we didn't know we were initially going to go for the whole month. But it was such a good opportunity that we were like, okay, we're definitely, that's it, we're doing it. And that was great. And that's what kind of pushed us forward into it. By that point, we had spoken to our actors. So it's the same actors that we'd done in the in the first show at the pub theatre. And we really maybe wouldn't have wanted to do it if we hadn't had them on board because 
they had such a natural chemistry and you know they didn't know each other before but people would come out of the show and being like oh I guess it was easy for you because they've been friends for years and we'd say you actually never met each other <laughs> um it's just very lucky I mean obviously that's why we cut we cast it deliberately and humbly I can say we cast it well but you know we just knew that everything would come together so much easier we could have shorter rehearsal periods because we had that kind of knowledge that they had a beautiful relationship and chemistry already and everything was shorthand so that's how we were able to come into the fringe at very very short notice i'm thinking this was like what april like really really late in the day <laughs> you're almost like the, the final program's getting printed around about april time i think it was like we've signed up and now we need everything now and it was like okay <laughs> it was a lot of like intense like photoshop sessions and yeah just like pulling everything together while we were both kind of still working full-time jobs so it was a lot of late evenings but um needless to say i handed in my notice very swiftly after we'd got the approval that we were going to the fringe speaking to a lot of people it's it's kind of difficult with the day job you know some people will have a an understanding employer some people will you know if, if the show's only an hour they'll try and fit it in around their work but yeah. you thought no i'm kind of i'm all in for this I was very ready to leave um, my position as it was. And also I'm a kind of my whole career up until that point had been freelance. So you learn that you, you know, you work for six months and then you maybe don't work for two and then you work for eight months and then you don't and then you work for four months. Like it's and I knew and then I, as a result, you learn that you especially in film and TV, you get a fair good salary, but you have to save it away for a rainy day because you won't be working for a couple of months and you live off your savings. So that's how I've been operating. So it didn't really feel that weird or scary for me to be because I was just like, well, this is my new gig. You know, I've been working here for mm. a year. Now I'm going to be working here for two months and then I'll be figuring out what I'm going to do next. And I had savings to support my like personal expenses and stuff to, to do that. So I wasn't worried and maybe you should have been, but I'm still fine <laughs> so far. But I think it's that, good to have faith in yourself. No? That, I think that mindset massively helped because I can really understand if I'd only ever had the security of like a full time contracted job, that the idea of just like quitting for like a silly little cowboy show at the fringe would be like an insane prospect. But yeah, and it and it's what and it's what I'd wanted. You know, I I've been desperately after I've been working in production for all, been wanting to kind of do something in the creative side of things. So and then I had a wonderful opportunity. So it felt like a no brainer. Yeah. And I mean, in terms of costs, I mean, did you find, obviously, there's you, Billy, there's the two cast members, there's oh. other people involved. I mean, how, how big was the team? The team was minuscule. It is horribly expensive, the Fringe. Not in any way, you could say not. Um, but we definitely managed, like, pe when people were, which I think is great, a lot of shows that we were kind of working alongside, or as in people doing similar types of things and similar types of venues to us at the Fringe, after it were publishing their kind of budget reports on Twitter to show how much they spent and how much they made or how much they nearly broke even or whatever, just to kind of open the curtain on the intense expense that Fringe is and, and why you shouldn't go into it without that knowledge, which was excellent and amazing. But during that, I was a bit like, Jesus Christ, like we, we didn't do that. <laughs> we managed to get through on the skin of our, well, not on the skin of our teeth, but I mean, as a producer, I made a calculated risk basically that I cut every possible cost that I could and mostly put it on myself like I wouldn't I would never cut costs that would cause issues to other people but if in terms of just like sweat labor 
as I say, like I quit my job. I wanted this to work. Like it's uh, something I really care about. I love the people involved. It wasn't a hardship for me to put myself fully into it. And everyone was mucking in, obviously. That we, so the team was tiny. Um, we did the lighting design ourselves. We did the music design ourselves. We literally, me and Billy sat down. She plays the banjo, obviously, very on brand for her. If you know anything about cowboys and lesbians. And we just composed silly little like banjo pieces for the, for the, for the scenes, the intros and the outros when we needed music. And, you know, we, we watched the play and we we're like, okay, well, this bit seems going to be a bit sadder at the end and this seems going to be more joyful. And then she just went, okay, well, let's do a Scruggs roll. How does that sound? And then we just played around with that. And we had a friend who plays guitar and has a microphone and he just like added some strums. So it sounded a bit, you know, deeper and stuff. And then the lighting design was us literally just being like, okay, well, we have these two sets of, we have these two worlds. One of them, we let's say that one of them's blue and one of them's pink. Okay, let's make a bit more orangey. Okay, fine. That's fine. That works for what we need, you know. A lot of the costumes and things like that we had from before. We made sure that we paid everyone, you know, the actors were paid, I was paid. And we had people do a very like rudimentary set. We had someone we paid who did the um, painting some canvases that we could just hang up and carabiners. And then, yeah, social media was a big part of our marketing. We paid for PR, but a, a small package, a kind of first time print package. And yeah, like not much else. Everything else was a lot of everything we could possibly do on our own that we did. Yeah, a lot of relying on. I kind of knew that because um, of the, the play that it is, it's very based. It's for young people, um, mm. and it's for and it's not. It's not even really for theatre people. It is lots of theatre people love it, but it's also because especially because of who Billy is. It's kind of. P for film people it's for people who like films and people who like tv because it's kind of parodies of rom-coms and stuff like that and so i knew that they wouldn't really help if we were putting loads of money into like marketing in magazines and things like that because like no one under a certain age reads that stuff or sees that things like that and i, I don't i don't mean that in a patronizing way at all obviously so my main campaign was social media and reviews because i was like we'll get the young people through social media and we'll get the old people by you know this was blah 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 this review and I had confidence that we get good reviews because we had them previously and it's such it's such, like you you hear cowboys and lesbians and you think oh god it's going to be really progressive and intense and it's such a like wholesome like everyone likes it it's it's one of the, the grandmas come out of it and be like that was lovely that was very thought provoking <laughs> and so I I had faith that we could get both sides and that was how we would do it and um came off that's how I kind of we managed to, to do that very tiny team. Yeah. Talk about reviews. I know you've got a, a four star in the Times. I mean, do things like that. Do you see a sudden spike in sales or a spike in noise and interest when something like that happens? Um, yes. I think the title massively helped in terms of people knowing about it and hearing about it, which was a conscious decision. The original play when it was on in uh, London and it's the pub review, it was called Scholar's Creek. Which right. is very Billy and very cute and very kind of like old timey, whatever. But I was like, it, I mean, it could be about a literal like historian. And I don't mm. think anyone's going to see that. So I was like, we need something snappy. Da, da, da. It's going to be cowboys and lesbians. And that massively helped for kind of like buzz at the fringe. So we kind of already had that anyway. And then the times it did help with sales, but I think what it helped most with was age. So it was about bringing in that, as I said. So up the, the first like weekend after we had the Times review, 
for the first time ever, it was about like 50-50, like people over 30 and people like under 30. Whereas before it had really exclusively been people under 30, which is great. Like that's what we, we want. You know, we're not, I mean, not that we're, it's not like we've got a massive agenda, but like we're not, but the, but the young people were making them feel, hopefully we're making them feel seen and, and enjoyful and seeing themselves in art. But with the old people, we want to be saying, you know, look at this very peaceful queer story and understand that you can you can understand this too and feel connected to it and it's um so yeah that was that was that was the main effect that we felt from that and in terms of the more traditional stuff um i know i think i saw some of the videos you were doing some flyering did did you did you do a lot god god did we fly out or god did i (laughs) um (laughs) um like yes definitely i mean that was a again title and title and poster that was my main thing i was like it's the fringe we needed to stand out i insisted that when we were flyering we were wearing cowboy clothes i was always dressed as a cowgirl or whatever i mean often i look more like a pirate but um that was the aim to stand out and a lot of people said you know would say like uh, you know you'd be like you'd be shouting at these people as they walk past like cowboys and lesbians and a lot of people would be like no 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 and then they go just say cowboys and lesbians yeah, actually, we'll have one of them. So I've heard from other, because a lot of the actors that we were working, sorry, a lot of the actors, both actors who we were working with had been at the Fringe before with other shows. And uh, Julia, who plays Carter the Cowboy, um, and Nina, um, had been there the year previous with a very great, very interesting kind of artistic piece called Move Fast and Break Things, which I can't remember where it was, maybe Summer Hall. And it was a great show, and it got, I think, quite reviews i don't think they were there for the whole run which is always hard but she was like flyering for that was hell because move fast and break things it's a good it's a good title it's and obviously there wasn't any better title for like what it was because it was quite an arty thing about technology and the person who kind of invented google i think and it's but it's very hard to pitch that so we were lucky that flyering was a very useful resource for us because we were able to get people engaged with it and yeah, I mean, we did everything. We did all the things that people say you should do. We went to every single queer show, and we exited flyer today if we could. Um, we went to we did it just randomly on the streets. We did it at busy times. We did it first thing before our show. Every every single day, we would do two hours before, and then at least two hours after, and maybe we could do four if one of us was doing two, and then the other one would do later. But the way that we made that slightly less horrendous was that we would try and be like, I want to see this show. So I will go and exit flight. I'm going to see like three or four shows today after my show and I'm going to exit flight all of them. And then if I lose this many flyers, then I've done my job. And if not, I stand on the street for another like hour or so. And I mean, in, in terms of sales, and went well. Mm-hmm. Speaking to someone else previously, they said they had a sold out run, but sometimes it was only like until an hour before it sold out. So you said, you know, you, it was great to sell out, yeah. but you didn't, was, you, you didn't have that relaxed feeling of, well, you know, that's done now. You, you still had to sell, you know, right up until the last minute. But this is what I'm saying. Every single day, every single day at two hours before we were vlogging our wares and all of us were. So this is the thing. We split it between, you know, sometimes if the actors felt like they needed a bit more prep time, I was very conscious that I wouldn't, you know, they needed to have their warm up. They needed to have chill. If they were feeling ill or run down, I would make sure that again, that was, it was pushed on me and, and Bill to be doing that. But. Yeah, there was not a single day. I think there was one day that I knew that we would sell out. In like it was, I think it was maybe like the last Saturday, and I was like, "We're already at X number. We're normally only at that 
you know, two hours before, I'm just sure that we probably don't even have to do any work. I still think I did, but I think it was maybe only me and only for an hour. But apart from that, every single day, intense push the night before and the morning before, and it would sell out half an hour before. I would literally be, because I was teching, um, I was doing the, the sound and the lights and everything. And so I'd be like on my phone as people were walking in, like refreshing. And I'd be like asking the staff, like, are we sold out? Are we sold out? And they'd be like, just sold out. And I'd be like, oh, great. Okay, amazing. So no, no, no. It was not like, I know some people like the incredible Lachlan Werner who did Voices of Evil. He just kind of at the end of the show, at the end of the run, like just threw out all his flyers that he never used because he was like, I didn't want to throw them away before because I was just didn't believe that it kept selling out, but they just did. And so we never used to do it. And I was like, God, that's the dream. I mean, he completely deserved <laughs> an incredible show. I loved it. But um, no, that was not what we were. But that was that was part of, again, maybe if we'd spend a million bajillion pounds on marketing in different ways, we might have not had to do that. But that was our decision. And it went all right. <laughs> I mean, did you consider using professional flyers or did you, like you said, you wanted no. to keep, keep costs tight? No. Again, this is the thing. Because we all cared about the show, and again, because you could, because everyone did want to be seeing other shows as much as possible, and you could combine it very easily with doing, it didn't feel like too much of a burden for most of the part. And the other part, especially with me, I was like, again, I'm the producer. I could just, I can just do it. Like I can just do it. Like the only other thing I will be doing in this situation is like having a rest and lying down, and like I will be resting for a long time when this finishes. <laughs> Because I haven't got anything, you know, I, I, haven't, I haven't got a job. This is my job. So I would just be like, okay, well, another hour then if I felt like it needed it. Um, and, and everyone else was, was happy to do it as well. As long as, as long as that, you know, we, we were making sure everyone was looked after and no one was getting over, overstrayed. And also I've heard that, especially with something like, like with, especially with me, like making everyone flipping like dress up and stuff. You, especially with cowboys and lesbians you're going to be like kind of a bit a bit flirty a bit kind of like there's something for everyone or like you look like you enjoy cowboys and lesbians like <laughs> yeah our budget was so small um maybe if we'd have got really sick if all of our actors had got really sick and i'd got really sick then definitely like i think and also we were i think for comedians and also for people like there was a character floor was a one-woman show which was great it was about adhd and queerness and um she employed flyers and I was like, yes, that is the 100% correct position because she was having to do this very long, intensive voice, extensive, energetic one woman show and then fly it afterwards. She was just like absolutely dying and she just got some great flyers and it made a massive difference and it completely helped her. So I don't, I don't in any way, I just think it's specific, like depending on what you can do and what. That, that makes a lot of sense. Um, so in terms of the social media, was there one particular site you used i mean was it very instagram tiktok or a bit of everything flipping everything everything that would have us i'm not really a big twitter person i i'm loathly having to get back into twitter for the sake of doing more things for um for this run for park and, and bristol i'm very on instagram to my shame for my sins as it were so that one came a bit easier tiktok again I'm a bit of a cusper, like I'm not a millennial, but I'm also a bit of an old Gen Zer. So I'm not really, I'm, I'm, I'm a classic kind of watch the TikTok reels come onto Instagram a few weeks later as the meme goes. So that one was, again, getting my head into, but I've seen enough of the content that I knew the kind of thing that we should be doing there. So 
yeah, get, get yourself stuck into literally everything. I mean, I know that Instagram, the main thing they push is video content. So that's the main thing that you just got to like grin and bear it and, and go for it. Because then a lot of people I know are kind of my age or whatever who just aren't into that. The kind of traditional format is, you know, you do a post every day and it's a picture. Da, da, da. But Instagram just buries that these days. Like it's about pushing mm. it on stories. You know, you're supposed to be, I mean, blah, 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 but you're supposed to be doing X amount of stories a day throughout the day. And you need to be doing video content as much as you possibly can through reels or elsewise. Um, and it will just make your like following grow and it will just reach people who hasn't reached elsewise. So you got to do it. <laughs> I hate, yeah, I kind of yeah. hate it, but also I do have some fun with it. I mean, I, we were also paying for ads on Instagram and or Meta, obviously. Like, so I wasn't really massively targeting Facebook, but I was just paying for like all meta ads to be going through with a main focus on people seeing on Instagram stories. Cause that's how I see my ads is Instagram stories. Um, then obviously you can't translate that to TikTok. You've just got to be making the TikToks yourself, but, um, it's hard. I feel like it's easier for, I feel like I'm, I'm jealous of, um, comedians and people whose show is themselves because they can just kind of do funny, just things that just funny little videos. Whereas I uh, I don't have access to the actors right now. I'm very much not, you know, the face of the piece. I'm not a comedian. So I can't just like film myself. Well, some people do. Some people are like, hello, the life of a producer. That's too much for me. I can't do that. I've got, I'm, I would be too ashamed. But yeah, I, the, uh, the whole, you know, I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a tired story, but the, uh, the fatigue of content creation of being like, I don't know what to do, <laughs> especially when I haven't got subjects to film is annoying but it will become easier once we're in rehearsals and things like that and um so for for the run you've got coming up later in the month i think that's like about 20 2022 shows mm-hmm. something like that can you reuse a lot of the stuff you've already done or you know, for, for promotion yeah. does it have to do you have to start again yes i mean as i keep saying just do everything <laughs> i would say definitely repost everything i'm definitely going to pro- repost everything that i've done um in terms of all the like videos but you've also got to be making new stuff constantly to feed the beast and get people involved and also just like you've got to be funny you've got to be interesting and so yeah i've got ideas they'll be coming uh yeah and i mean <laughs> i mean with that because it's i mean it's, it's the second of february now does it start is it the 22nd something like that 21st 21st, yeah, it's 21st, it's our first preview. 21st, so it's just under three weeks. I mean, it must be dif- difficult because, yes, you don't want to try and do all your marketing, you know, the three days before you start. But on the other hand, you don't want to, you know, you might you might reach the right person today, but because it's three weeks away, it's not top of mind for them and they'll, you know, it's 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 a kind of difficult balance. Yeah, I mean, it is. I think I think people, so I mean, the rule, the, the, the thing that I hear is that you know you, you have to see it three times ideally in a variety of different ways before you book a ticket so you want to read an article about it you want to see an ad for it and you want to see a poster or whatever obviously it's not that you know because in london you're probably not going to see a poster necessarily like i mean we're certainly not going to be paying for like posters on the tube but equivalent of that so i think it's more it's less about you know what that one person sees it once now and then is like oh yeah i want to do that and then they forget about it because if they've clicked on it or they've engaged with it, then they're probably going to get that ad again uh, closer to time. And they're like, oh, no, I did want to see that. And then if, if they've also maybe, because they've clicked on it, then maybe they're getting pushed other content from us, um, like my personal. So we've got to, the way we're going to be doing it is, well, the way we are doing it, the marketing campaign has started, 
is park theatre themselves uh, um, have a uh, you know meta ad campaign going on that we will be paying for and have like co- coordinated with them. And then I will be separately doing a kind of more like lo-fi, Instagram, TikTok, etc. presence and maybe boosting some of our posts additionally in a more kind of like personal effect. So yeah, so potentially if they've seen our stuff, they might be more likely to be advertised the park advert and vice versa. And it's just like hitting them more and more until they're like, oh, I, it started, now I'll buy a ticket. Whereas if they actually saw it for the first time when it just started, they might only think about getting around to it by the time it's finished. Kind of thing is is my thinking, and also I believe to be I think is the truth. I mean, it's it's a combination of different. You've got to win people over, you know. Like I don't I don't expect someone to buy a ticket after my, their first little like silly reel that they've seen from our page, but maybe they would like it or follow it from that and then get engaged, get one over. Yeah. yeah. And so now you've done the fringe as well. I mean, do you have much of do you have those kind of advocates, so you have people who've seen it, who like it, that will, that will push things for you as well? Definitely. I mean, that was what was so lovely about The Fringe is that so many, especially young queer people, connected with it so intensely and had such a you know loving relationship. We'd have people who came like three or four times throughout the run. They'd say like, third time seeing this and best thing ever, da, 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 come going, bringing my friends again next week. And we'd be like, God, like, thank you so much. But I've never done that in my life for anything. And they would be, you know, again, some people were making their own little TikToks about us. That was absolutely like heartwarming beyond belief. So, I mean, these are just normal people. So I don't think they're going to be, you know, actively doing a marketing campaign for us being like, don't go. But definitely we had had a lot of people posting when we had done certain big announcements like post reveals or show announcements saying like i saw this the range and i really loved it da, da, da. and i think they'll and they're definitely telling their friends you know like word is slowly spreading in a way that is comforting and so obviously the the, the bulk of the run is at london and then there's a few nights in bristol yeah is is there plans for the rest of the country later on or even back up to the fringe next year or this year um so we'll see i mean in the rest of the rest of the country other theaters etc We'd definitely be interested in doing that. I don't think it's like if we don't get a full tour or a transfer, then this is a failure. Like we're very pleased and happy to be doing part of the lovely experience. And Bristol is such a fun little add-on because it's got such a great queer community and it's a you know um, theater, uh, student city. And I just think we'll have the best time ever. We're also collaborating with a queer club night while we're there. We're throwing an after party which is it was one of the first kind of queer club nights in Bristol that's got really popular. So I think the whole thing is just going to be an absolute ball. In terms of future, yes, we'd love to go to other places. Like, I mean, I hate that the theatre world is so concentrated on London and, you know, the South as well. Um, and a lot of people said that, you know, they say like, come here and da, da, da. But it is just, I mean, funding is the thing that we need to do that. Like we're managing to do this kind of like just off the back of the fringe. We haven't got external funding, which again, it's just very stressful <laughs> as the producer and in general for everyone involved. So, well, I'm hoping not. We are, again, we're paying people fairly. So it's not hopefully stressful for the actors and things like that. But for, you know, me and, and the team and Billy, I don't want that. So when you when you have to be looking at like transport and accommodation, that's just too overwhelming to consider without someone like some kind of backing of any form. And also be, be exciting people wanting us, you know, I don't. we're not just going to like, go to a random place for the sake of it 
In terms of coming to the fringe next year, not with cowboys and lesbians, I wouldn't say. My kind of understanding is that go out on a high and have your first time fringe experience with your show. And I know there have been success of people who come back with their shows, but I think there's a bit of a fatigue of it because you can only have that excitement and fringe buzz once. And when when I was there and I'd never been to the fringe before ever as a punter or a person who's putting something on, um, and I'd say, oh, yeah, there's this show. Should we go see it? And and people would kind of be like, oh, yeah, that was on there last year. And that was kind of almost a reason not to see it. And so I was like, okay, well, note to self. It would it would just feel more tired, I think, and less enthusiastic because we've done it. But that's not to say I, don't, I do not know if that is true for other people. And I'm sure there are lots of big, big successes. I know like Godot is a woman, was was there double time and they've gone on to do exciting things and stuff so do not let me poo poo that if that's an exciting thing that anyone is listening is, is going to do um in terms of going with a different show i mean we haven't applied um <laughs> i think like billy is working on other writing projects she's can you hear that that's all right sorry. um billy's working on, that's on my set designer who's just out in my balcony working on the set um and yes for the record as well just to credit everyone who's due, although for the Fringe we had a very, very small crew, for this we have slightly expanded it and we have a lovely, beautiful, incredible set designer and lighting designer, thank God, who will elevate the show ex- exponentially, hopefully. Um, but yeah, um, in terms of, yeah, Billy's working on lots of her own writing projects. She's writing a sitcom, she's writing another play, because she's working at Park Theatre, so it's like on a residency kind of thing. So she's doing lots of things, so we're not thinking about the fringe in that way and like i'm who knows what i'll be doing next who knows what i'll be doing in three months like i'm taking it all as it comes <laughs> i wouldn't not i wouldn't say neither of us would say no if we had an exciting play that we believed in as much yeah. as cowboys and lesbians we would definitely go again we had a great experience and we'd love to do it again at, at pleasance which we had a great experience with but I, I this is not my time to be like well thanks for asking because we're just announcing blah 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 no i, th- I think i think a lot of people talking to a lot of stand-ups, you know, especially when their show is a bit more theatrical. It's not, say, not just, I don't mean that in a, in a bad way. It's not just, not just jokes. That There is more of a, a story arc that obviously that takes time to come up with. Yeah. Um, and so they're kind of doing every other year. I, th- I think that makes sense because it's, it's just such I'm, a big investment yeah. in your yourself, your time, the energy of going into it. To, to do that every year is, is a huge task. Definitely, definitely. I mean, I, I grew up like loving and listening to and watching stand-up comedians and that I've been very interested to kind of hear that kind of like seeming like community exhale of relief when people are kind of realizing like they don't have to do it every year. Comedians no longer have to do it every year. And they don't have to do it for the full run, especially if they're a bit more established. Like there isn't this culture of, you know, like if you're not doing that, then what the hell are you doing with yourself? Um, which seems great. <laughs> Again, I'm not part of it, so it doesn't affect me as much, but I'm very for it for the people having rests and not killing themselves and their mental health, which everyone seems to say is base level when they're at the fringe, especially if you're a stand-up. Yeah. You were saying you know, the kind of having the month was in the nicest way, kind of forced on you. If you'd have had complete free range and choice, what kind of thing would you have gone for, do you think? Well, no. So little naive um, fringe virgins, me and Belle, were kind of, scared of the fringe and so the idea of being like we'll just go for two weeks and that'll be fine and that'll be better and less expensive and whatever 
But when we were speaking to the actors, Julia, who's been there for lots of different shows, you know, she's been there for really successful ones and less successful ones. She was she was in um, Lights Over Tesco, I think it was called, which was sold out for its entire run at the Pleasance and was featured in The Guardian and stuff like that. And then she's been in other smaller ones. And she was like, there's no point doing two weeks if you're not like quite already have a good foundation and have a big marketing and PR spend because um, you kind of build up reputation and buzz about by the two week mark and you start to do well and then you go home, um, which <laughs> would be soul destroying. Um, and so she was like, no, we need we really need to go for a month if we can. And that's why we were like, okay, yes, when they gave it to us and very lucky to have that. We would have probably made do if we'd have had a good space somewhere for less. But having been there, and obviously, I'm sure lots of people went for two weeks and had a really good experience and it was wonderful. But having been there, I do really see that. Like we were still waiting on, like we had our Times review come out in like the third week. So, you know, and we had loads of... um loads and loads of review like the scotsman didn't come in until later and and that stuff so i would have been so well again counterintuitively way more stressed if we'd have just been there for a more finite time because there's less of a kind of like if we don't sell out and get a five-star review in seven days with this all none of it's worth it and it's still horribly expensive even to do it for two weeks so yeah but that was our naive view of that it would be easier to do it for less and it obviously is in terms of like it's like less tiring but I think there's lots of advantages of the full time. Um, obviously, we talked about social media. Like I say, are you looking to do local news and things like that yeah. to, to try and get you know, the really local stuff? Yeah. So, I mean, yes, I we have a lovely PR um, company who did. So when we did um, the Fringe, we had a kind of first time Fringe little little budget thingy. And now because we worked with them, so it was Chloe Nalk- Chloe Nalkit Consultancy. And because we worked with them before, we were happy to stay with them and now we've got the big the big boy budget proper package from them so yes i'm leaving most of that stuff to them and i'm very grateful right. for it because i was having it was a bit more collaborative on the last one and um when you don't have connections it does feel like a bit soul destroying having to contact all these random you know news people trying to get them to reply to you um We've so so far we had literally yesterday Billy was speaking did an interview shout out radio which is a Bristol based radio and she was talking about both the park and the Bristol run it's like an LGBTQ radio station so yes we would love to do that but in terms of what I'm doing local I'm wanting to get in contact with and this is what I did before when I was at the White Bear Theatre was getting in contact with a lot of like local queer groups so even just like instagram groups being you know queer poetry queer queer night queer you know queer theater queer everything and kind of messaging them and being like we'd love to organize a kind of group trip for you guys you know maybe through maybe a discount maybe a few comps anything like that because we really our priority obviously is getting as many young queer people in there as possible because we think that hopefully they will enjoy it most and also that's who we've made it for and that's who we want to make this a more interesting and accessible for and so that was something that I found really filling as well as successful um in the last one because yeah there are a lot of these kind of little groups because queer people want to do things together and, and a lot of queer people don't have queer friendship groups I think it's a lot easier for younger Gen Z people um, I think a lot of more of them are openly queer. I think there was like a statistic that came out the other day that Americans like Gen Z is more likely to be queer than Republican um, for the first time ever. 
And so um, I think that's easier. But lots of people, even if they're out and very accepted by their friendship group, they, they're not in a queer friendship group. And so it's hard of them to go things to like gay club nights and stuff like that because you know, it's a bit, con- it's, it's a hard thing to be bringing straight people into queer spaces and also maybe they don't understand or they don't want to. And so they need these these groups, these communities, so they can do that with people that will understand and they won't have to explain it to. And so um, that's a lovely thing that exists and a lovely thing that we want to kind of collaborate with. Thanks for listening. There's more details in the show notes about Eleanor and where to find out more about the show. If you enjoyed this, check out some of our previous episodes where we speak to people about making creativity pay.